Montreal, your ears are my island. Directed and produced by Esther Bourdash. My name is Silvano Mercado Vilches. I am a musician. I came here by chance. Well, actually, it's music who led me here in some kind of way. I was uh, traveling for a year everywhere in the world, but I, I went to, um, to Asia, to India, to make some uh, volunteer work in a school of music, which was uh, traditional Indian music. This school was a Quebecois project, I made friends there. I decided to end my journey by visiting Quebec to see how things were here. Those people were so nice, so I was like, okay, let's, let's go check. Hi, my name is Millie Hong. <laughs> Hi, my name is Adam Basanta. I'm uh, an artist and composer, experimental sound artist uh, living in Montreal. I work in visual arts and uh, with a concentration on media that involve time in some way, which has meant uh, sound for, for many years. My background is in university is uh, contemporary music composition. Uh, my name is Kimihiro Yasaka. I'm a pianist. I reside in Montreal. I'm here since 2006. I came here to, to do my bachelor degree in piano performance under supervision of Professor Kyoko Hashimoto at uh, Schulich School of Music, Mikyo University. I graduated from a master's degree in piano solo performance. I'm Joseph Sanacandro. I'm a writer, sound artist, and scholar based in Montreal. I have a series called Sound Propositions, featuring critical uh, interviews with, with artists and musicians talking about their creative practices, which is, uh, has become a, a podcast sort of series of audio documentaries exploring sound, sound art and practice. I quickly met some people. I thought they were really open. I thought things were way more easy here. Um, maybe because it's smaller. I always felt like 
Montreal was um, some kind of a, a big village. That's, that's how I, I still feel about it, actually. People were really uh, open, yeah. You know, you, you would meet them and say, oh, you're a musician, okay, uh, let's do something. You want to meet and play? And we try something and, and, and we just do it. It's more about the music. And not, and not about, you know, who is going to be the best, who is going to be, you know, like, it's just way less competitive from my perspective. I went to college uh, in Korea for a year for a music education. I moved to Canada when I was 20 or 21, then uh, went to jazz school. I graduated. Also, that's where I met my husband, Eli. He's a bass player. He always wanted to move to Montreal because Montreal, part of yeah. his family is from Montreal. Montreal. And I had no idea about Montreal because I was like just stuck in Vancouver for like 12 years. I had some sort of feeling. Some sort of feeling. Feeling. I had some sort of feeling that I wanted to do something else outside of composing music. Something artistic express myself in realms that weren't necessarily just in the concert venue. I moved to uh, Montreal in 2010. And I... There was some sort of something happened when I, when I was moving. Um... Arriving in a new city, I was exposed. I felt like bigger than I was used to in, in Vancouver. So I knew a lot of people in contemporary music here, and and I moved here, and it was it was just amazing to see all the different sides of the music, the experimental music scene, you know, more. Um, and uh, but also there was this whole you know electronics DIY scene. doing sound art, which was a complete new thing for me at the time. People doing electronic music performance with visuals and, and uh, uh, of course, the free uh, improv uh, scene here at the Music Actuelle. If I may talk about just about uh, contemporary classical music, 
uh, it's really, really active compared to other cities, I believe. Um, there are many, many opportunities for musicians like me. But it really felt like kind of anything was possible um, or like that nobody really cared or was paying too much attention, which made a lot of things possible. A lot of new things in Montreal I found and people are really open-minded. So this city embraces the, a lot of different cultures. some I, I made some installation objects we could um, people could touch be part of uh, the music we were doing and they were all connected different, with uh, different contact different mics different I remember because uh, it was there was not so much people the the, um, the gallery was really nice they, they were, were all listening and I felt like wow I was impressed because I don't know so sometimes people just they come you know when they hang out and they're not necessarily here to listen. Audiences, they're really welcome to listen. My first early associations with Montreal were, were Constellation Records and I remember when I saw Silver Mount Zion in Brooklyn in 2005 and they talked about how, you know, Montreal was kind of a place that allowed them to do what they, what they did and I was curious, what does that mean? But I, when I moved here a few years later, I learned a big part of that is just that the rent is really cheap in Montreal compared to Boston or Toronto or New York or you know other big cities. You know the loft scene here in Montreal, musique actuelle. It, it you know it took me a while to understand what that meant. What does that mean? Bands like Mount Zion and Godspeed sort of led me to that because there's a there's a certain overlap with the with the musicians and the styles of music and you have like 
some academic and some underground influences in those scenes that kind of come together. I found an openness here in Montreal that I didn't, maybe it existed, but I never found really in New York. to meet some friends and you were there too at the KGB and then there was this guy uh, kind of poet and uh, he was singing and, uh, and you know he cleaned out the room funny, funny but I remember st still liking this and this is what I like about Montreal is like whatever it is it's possible and you can do it people will be open to it very free I um, always find people really interested in the, in the music. They come and they, they're really quiet and then they listen, they listen, they're, they're very into it. And the music. And, and the music. And, and the music. I was really doing contemporary music. You know, like I was writing contemporary music, electroacoustic music, acousmatic music. It was my focus for a few years that I was... Like you could just do a concert somewhere without a, a permit or without, you know, going through like a lot of bureaucracy. Very free. Very free. A female, like musicians, even like uh, now jazz schools, especially, I can see more women involved. And I think it's great. Like it shouldn't, shouldn't be men's thing. It's like playing music. Why does like a gender matter even, you know?
you know, the, there was just a feeling like there was space for, for everybody. The sound art scene, you know, especially I think, and that's, you know, it's a very vague term. It was definitely eye-opening for me to see. Uh, a lot of people who were doing kinetic work at the time. Kind of a semi semi institutional kind of uh, backing to it, like a place like Oberon, or an artist run center, or Eastern Block, or like places that were kind of geared towards this kind of thing. And it was shocking <laughs> for me, you know. festival like, uh, like Pop Montreal, for instance, you can go to multiple concerts in the evening because everything's pretty compact. The downtown Montreal, or not really downtown, but the plateau and the mile end where most of the nightclubs and nightlife is centered, it's pretty close to downtown. And so you can kind of go from neighborhood to neighborhood very easily. Arcade Fire had played the fall before I came up here for the first time. And so that put Montreal on the map again in a big way, you know. And yeah, and of course the Jazz Fest, another big draw, uh, even if it's pretty commercial. Montreal had this reputation as being a place for like music and, you know, fun and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so I came up and literally the first place I went was Casa del Popolo. Casa Obscura, which is another one of those underground venues that fostered dialogue between different kinds of musicians. In my studies, I decided that um, that I wanted to kind of focus my thesis on on something, the idea of composing with sound, but also composing with something that's not sound. You, to use the same musical approach, but with something that's not sounding. The thing that I chose to focus on was light. I wanted to have some uh, lessons from uh, other musicians in Montreal, so I met uh, Richard Raymond and also uh, Kyoko Hashimoto. 
I took lessons from them. It was so good, so so much better than I I can get in Japan, and I was really really impressed. Jazz and free jazz and free improv and noise uh, and and freak folk and all those kinds of things that they're kind of going on and that you could see that there's a connection between those musics between the places that the spaces where they play some of the musicians themselves you know I, I think that's something that always struck me about Montreal and I think maybe comes from the strong jazz tradition here is that you do kind of have a lot of examples of very loose combinations of groups. As being Japanese, I've been working a lot of Japanese contemporary classical music. And that's also not so known in Japan, right? So a lot of those musicians, like William Parker, for instance, I had never seen before I moved to Montreal. So that was something that I kind of understood, is that Montreal plays this role in the larger ecosystem, where you have this generation of musicians from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, who maybe uh, got teaching jobs in upstate New York or Massachusetts or, or whatever, and they might gig a little bit in those places, but they come up here a lot because there's kind of an audience that was cultivated here. And there's a deep history there that we could talk about on, in some level that really goes back to the 1920s and to Prohibition in, in America. You know, even though we didn't make too much money at the beginning, I'm saying right now, but like you still have a little more room that you can breathe, like as a, like a young person, like developing like a professional, you know, nothing set yet. So like gigs are just like very random. Sometimes you make enough money for a month, sometimes not. Sometimes you make enough money for a month, sometimes not. We, we had this idea about using lamps to um, control the light of the lamp and to put a, a transducer. Random. A contact speaker is something that basically makes um, another object vibrate and, and turns it into a speaker. If we can put that inside the lamp and then we're going to amplify electronic sounds through the lamp and also control the light, that would be a really interesting approach to a laptop performance. Not. 
culture. I, I miss my country, I guess. <laughs> I think then I realized being Japanese. Like, I never thought I am Japanese being in Japan, I think. Now I'm outside of Japan, then now I realize that how Japanese I am. Microphones and speakers and tape recorders and some other objects make you feedback as a solo electronic performance that almost doesn't involve the, the laptop as a performance element at all.、Um, I've done that. I met Jason Sharp、um, and I knew he was playing with feedback as well with saxophones.、Um, I was writing a saxophone quartet. I was using feedback from saxophones. I was asking him some questions and so we kind of developed this. This dialogue around. I'm working on an album, and、uh, you know, I, I'd like to maybe write a part in, in one of the songs in the album. You know, that you would play on this instrument. Would that be okay? I said, sounds great. Sounds great. In America, they passed a prohibition on alcohol in 1920, and that was not repealed until the very end of 1933. So you have like almost a decade and a half where you can't drink. And so in that time, lots of jazz musicians from from New York, from Boston, came up to Montreal because you could still have a proper cabaret, a proper nightclub where people could dance, listen to music. Balatou and also at Balatou with the same、uh, gang, Lester Valdez. They introduced me to other people. Les Nuits Gitanes. We had two or three different concerts there, inviting different type of musicians. There was、um, people from the Manouche. This player of Kora, African harp. We worked together on making all these different styles. Combination. Combination. I was、uh, really happy to play at Balatou because it's、um, very、um, one of the landmark of Montreal,、uh, also very important in the African community. Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely, things have changed in the last ten years. But it's it's hard for me to separate that from the fact that I've changed over the last ten years too. I do think some things have changed for the worse. You know, like I, I feel like the underground venues really suffered the most. The places that there were just. You know, spaces where you did shows. There's a lot fewer of those. I think maybe more will come up, but I don't know where they will be. I don't think they can really exist in in the neighborhoods that people live in. Like maybe it can exist a bit a bit further away. Like maybe a bit, a bit further away. Like a bit further away. Like a bit a bit further. Or Schlago, kind of north of the forty. 
by meeting these people or by knowing these uh, different type of arts, yeah, that stimulates me and then kept me going always. I mean, I think sustainability in terms of artistic practice should be thought of in a few different ways. There's, of course, ecological sustainability, but there's also kind of financial sustainability in the sense of, you know, making sure that you, you have a few different ways of making money. Performing an artistic activity, having, meeting people and exposing people to different practices giving people sometimes extremely meaningful experiences in a concert um, or an exhibition is something that has value to it. Music, it's not just about notes or sound. It could be a response to the social, uh, what's happening in the world, or that gives musicians to, to speak out. I kind of wish in general that we had more of a nuance and language in how we talk about sustainability and gentrification, you know, when it comes to artists, because we're kind of using the same words that we would use for a multinational corporation. That's not entirely fair, I think, on the artist. Montreal, your ears are my island. Featuring Adam Bazanta, Millie Ong, Silvano Mercado Velchez, Joseph Sanicandro, Kimiiro Yasaka. Directed and produced by Esther Burdash. Co produced by Norient and Goethe Institute. Hi, my name is Stefan Christoph. I'm speaking to you from Giogiage, which is the indigenous name for the city known as Montreal. Time Zones is a project co-produced by Norient and the Goethe Institute. This is a bonus talk edition I speak with Estelle Bordage, who produced an episode of Time Zones about Montreal. 
And I also spoke with sound artist Joseph Sonacondro, originally from New York City, who's living in Montreal. In both of these exchanges, I talked with the artists about the challenges surrounding the sustaining of independent cultural spaces, loft spaces in the face of real estate capital, but also the ways that uh, independent artists are trying to work together to keep alive independent cultural spaces in the city. Obviously, the pandemic has been a challenge, but people are holding together. Here we go. For sure, since um, the last 10 years, I would say, or, or the last 15 years, the landscape of space have been very changed. And uh, I feel very lucky that I've been, uh, I've been witness of the change of the space. Le côté spontaneous of to get access to a space is very um, precious. Um, like Adam Bazanta was uh, underlined in the podcast. Um, it looked um, because of the regulation, the policy of the city, it seems is more and more difficult to get access to, to space. We can think about the love scene space and how it changed. And there are very few of those space available to, to make it happen. So uh, I think today, um, yeah, the artistic practice is very uh, fragile in a, in a in city as Montreal, and yeah, there's a maybe a lack of understanding. As we can see, the gentrification and neighborhood who get transformed uh, the latest ten years, and they are few less space for the artistic practice in a good, sustainable um, budget, let's say. Um, to have an LT scene of music, we need to practice, we need to meet, we need an audience, we need, a, yeah, we need s those space of gathering. And uh, because of the real estate who we take more and more space in neighborhood that we used to come and make musician artists sound artists uh, there are f yeah there are few of those opportunity this fragility is to have the idea to to fight together uh, or to get some new idea or to get going whatever the situation yeah Montreal used to have like more, let's say, historical place, abandoned. I think about uh, Griffintown and around Griffintown. And it was possible to bring some new idea in old historical uh, building, for example. And I like to think about Jane Jacob when she wrote about diversity and incubation and yeah, and mixitude in the city, the mixitude bring new idea because we're in, yeah, Montreal is a big city. Even it's a small, it's a small, big city. So there's a lot of idea and, and 
and I like the term incubator because uh, people from different backgrounds, different country met in Montreal because it's affordable and they can create together some new possibility. And the fragility is to not give up in, in front of those real estate who look like to they eat the city, as I can use the slang, and to yeah to go beyond those capitalist logistics. I know it's it look um, a big mountain to fight, but uh, I see always a solution somewhere possible. One of the focus points of this podcast was the role that independent cultural spaces play in cultivating uh, creativity in the city. And the fragility of those spaces was addressed. Um, But also, like, sort of the institutional work that's maybe institutional but not in an official sense, Mm -hmm. which is hard to classify or categorize. And I think that that really like creates this context in Montreal where those spaces are in sort of administrative conflict with the city right because they don't fit into like certain models of what is understood by the city bureaucracy as a legitimate cultural space right but yeah. then the actual output of these spaces whether it's music or other types of artistic mediums is often very respected and like a- acknowledged as being important sure yeah well, unfortunately that's not a rare confluence uh, at all. You know, uh, I spoke with Tony uh, Catroni in, uh, in Rome, who ran the Dal Verme space, which was really important for a number of years. They had all sorts of international artists who would play there, um, lots of good press. And then the city municipality shut it down using like fascist era anti-mafia laws. And, uh, and they had exactly that battle, right? Like they had to defend themselves as a cultural space and they just couldn't understand you know that context even though the city was happy to trade off the tourism and the image uh, you know international cachet or all that i think you know you can find that a lot in in berlin and in montreal the way the city wants to have it both ways market itself as a creative city um, but not actually do anything to support those kind of interstitial spaces like the current uh la plante right now which uh, that address has been many has had many names over the years. And now the, they're in a moment of transition again. Um, and yeah, the, the accessibility of spaces like that have always been important to uh, independent culture here in the city, you know, going back to the 90s. And um, the context has changed a lot since the 90s, like the space that allowed for that to flourish on its own. Uh, the financial uncertainty in the wake of the referendum, all of that sort of stuff, uh, sort of created a space here in Montreal that was really, really unique. And I don't see how that will continue without, you know, actual, like, social organization to save those kinds of spaces. Um, Well, I mean, it goes really to that issue in the city, which is, like, how to categorize culture. And yeah. do we categorize culture? Is that like, is that actually going to save the uh, 
social economic space that allows you know independent venues to be possible like once you categorize them does it kill something that yeah, is inherent yeah. to the sort of incategorizability when there's a real tension there too because it's there's always someone who's going to be excluded by um, who's worthy of getting funding or whose culture counts as culture uh, that's inevitable um, yeah. But clearly the market can't be the, you know, uh, hmm. the arbiter of that. That was an excerpt of a conversation with Joseph Sanacondro, sound artist. And before that, we heard Estelle Baldage, uh, who produced an episode of Time Zones for this podcast series. Um, this is a bonus talk. I'm Stefan Christoph, uh, Montreal activist, community organizer, radio host and musician. You heard a bit of music in this uh, bonus talk episode. That was a duet I worked on with Joseph Sonicondro, who you heard from. Thank you so much for listening and uh, look forward to sharing more Time Zones episodes with you. I also look forward to hearing perspectives from other cities around the world. Take care.